Hey everyone, my name is Nachum Russell, or Russ, since nobody can say Nachum, and this is my friend Tiffany Trichter from Austin, Texas. And for those of you who it's your first time tuning into this show, we usually go live on Monday. This week we're doing Tuesday. It's a weekly show. We just sit down, talk, different trainers, different people. It's a lot of fun. It is not a Q&A show, so if you have Q&A questions, you can hit me up, or if you want to ask Tiffany, you could hit her up after our show. Um, but this is more just a fun way to get to know each other, for you guys to get to know us and really just chat about anything. And you guys are more than welcome to join the conversation in the comments section. Tiffany, you want to tell us, for those of people who don't know who you are, a little bit about you, what you do, where you are, and all that? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me on your show. Um, happy to be here. Uh, my name is Tiffany, and I have a dog training company. Um, I'm based out in Austin, Texas. Um, currently, I'm in Bandera, the cowboy capital of the world, and I'm doing a board and train um, currently with a little uh, border collie. Um, I work with uh, families, just like pet dogs, and help them to establish better relationships so that they can navigate successfully through this world of ours together. Awesome. Cool. And how long have you been, or not how long, how did you get into training dogs? So I grew up in the world, uh, like in that world, my aunt and I had two aunts and an uncle who were dog trainers. So it kind of runs in my family. Um, when I was a kid and my aunt was doing board and trains at her house, if uh, my grandparents or her, they couldn't find me, they, I was usually to be found inside a kennel with one of the dogs taking a nap or just hanging out. So it started when I was pretty young. So you're a natural. I would say it's in my blood. I was exposed to it early. Um, it was really important that uh, my, my family made it. It was like a normal thing. Like they wanted me to have that relationship with animals and to not be afraid of them. Um, I mean, there's pictures of me with uh, one of my first dogs was a Rottweiler. His name was Bogey, and I'm in diapers, chilling with him like this pound dog. So from uh, an early age, I was just exposed to them and developed an affinity. I told you as soon as we go live, one of them is going to run away. <laughs> You're right. And right away, I was like, what is that under my feet? And she was there. That's why I'm like looking around trying to <laughs> figure out what's going on. So one second, everyone. Yeah, you're good. Oh, my gosh. Down. Nope. Down. Okay. She's going to go in a crate. One second. All right. No problem. That's funny. We were just talking about how, uh, how good the dogs were being on place. I was like, I'm going to jinx it now. <laughs> yep, it happened. I shouldn't have said anything about that, and it would have been fine. I was like, what? I felt something tickling my toes, and I was like, kicking. I kept kicking away, and then I realized I was kicking a dog by mistake. <laughs> so I had to scoop her up. So you grew up with this, and did you just, like, kind of start doing it with the family? Or was there, like, at some point where you decided this is what I want to do, and what made that happen? Uh, so... Growing up, I would go to my grandparents' place uh, all the time on my father's side of the family. Um, my Aunt Pat, I would stay out there like over the summers, and so I was just around it all the time. Um, and then when I got to be old enough to be able to be a little bit more trustworthy, I was exposed to more and more uh, responsibilities. But at first, it always started with things that were important, but smaller responsibilities like picking up poop, learning how to... Uh, behave around a dog, like 
not putting my hands on top of their eyes so they can't see and like learning how to dial in my own energy and uh, when I'm around a dog and I also learned pretty early in a young age that the way that I behaved and what I did directly affected them so um, I would say that my first real jump in with both feet exposure like with dog training was in my 20s um, I had Archimedes my pitbull lab mix and she was I mean she was like the best dog and uh, she was pretty perfect in, in all ways but she had a uh, bad separation anxiety so she went to boot camp in Florida with my aunt and my uncle Martin who was a dog trainer too and um, she spent a few weeks there and then I, I came to do boot camp with her. And so that was like my first crash course, like uh, understanding like how the e-collar works um, and going beyond the scope of just like teaching dogs how to learn with positive reinforcement and motivation. Like all that stuff was, was good, you know, but I got to take it a step further and I was exposed more to the psychology um, on being able to provide the dog with all of the information with yes and no. Right. So, and your family growing up, were they like pet dog trainers or were you doing hunting stuff? So my uncle Martin was a gun dog trainer. He did do uh, like pet dogs too, but um, his, his passion was definitely gun dog stuff. My aunt, Pat, she uh, she did a family dogs, puppy stuff. Um, I combined experience, they probably had like 50, 50 plus years, wow. like 40 each, 45, 50. Um, so, but mostly uh, pet dog stuff. That's really cool. I've never spoken to somebody who grew up with it because it's a very different thing. So most trainers either find the passion just in the idea of dog behavior and just go all in on it. And a lot of them start because of their own like problem dog, right? That just was so difficult that they then got obsessed with the whole thing. But you have a very different perspective on it probably than a lot of the trainers who just got into it once they finally got that dog that just was too messed up and they figured out a way of training it and then got into it you probably have a very different perspective because it's more ingrained in you it's more the way you were raised and it's almost like you got you got the education that a lot of children should have and a lot less children would be getting hurt from dogs it just it, it definitely felt uh like a, a normal part of my day-to-day -day interactions just because it was there the whole time um, right. But I will say that Archimedes was, you know, she was my dog, and that was one thing I couldn't fix with her um, was the separation anxiety. So I knew how to, like, make that bond deep, but I had failed in that I didn't teach her how to be separate from, from me. I mean, I was there the day she was born. I videotaped it with a camcorder. So, you know, and there wasn't one day that I spent apart from her with the exception of her going to go work with my uncle and aunt in Florida. So, I mean, I, it was the first time I really needed to get more of a, more exposure to being able to fix my dog. And, you know, with the separation anxiety, it made me take a look at myself because of the relationship. I, um, I mean, I pretty much caused that yeah. to, to manifest itself. So it, it forced me to have to do some work Help too, and so I really wanted to make sure that she was the 
best version of herself, which was a calling for me to step up to the plate to be the best version of me. Absolutely. And so now you've been training for a while, right? You started, you grew up with it, whatever, but now you have your own business, your training. And you have a, a program that I think is very different than a lot of other trainers. I get to see any other trainer that really does it the way you started doing it. I think more recently, right? Your reverse board and train style thing. Can you tell us a little bit what that is, how it works and all of that? Because I think it's very interesting. It, it is. It's um, So what I was previously doing, um, I would go meet with a client. We would meet once a week, maybe twice a week. We would work on some stuff and then the in-between they would practice. And then whenever I came back, we would review and make sure everything was going well. And then we would build on that. The reverse board and train so I do martial arts, as you know, and it didn't make sense to me to just practice twice a week, right? And then that was it. So once I got the consistency in a practicing every single day, my proficiency developed significantly. And so that same concept applied to the reverse portraits. So what I started doing with clients was meeting with them for two weeks straight, instead of me taking their dog, and the dog getting the reps in with me, and the dog repatterning emotional response with me i go to the owner's house we set the foundation and get everything um cleaned up at the home so the dog gets the reps in i work directly with the client and the dog and then the client gets the repetitions in with the dog so that the uh repattern emotional response happens between the dog seeing the owner as leader right instead yeah. of just buddy and so um i saw that this had tremendous results in such a short period of time and that's what I've been doing now uh, since uh, all throughout the, the pandemic and COVID-19 stuff. Um, it's been tre a tremendous difference. So it's kind of like they get, they get uh, you know, consecutive days. So there's no lag time like before. Um, and it, it stays consistent. So when I leave the house, they know how to carry on for the rest of the day. And, and then when I return the next day, we jump right back in, we review we go over anything and so if there's any snags or anything that needs clarification we're able to clean that up and make tweaks and modify very quickly so you're in the you're in the client's home for like most of the day essentially you're doing like boarded train style training in the client's home so you're you're hanging out there you're just chilling with them and and clients have have been cool with that like it's it's been going well with that it has the, the time I spend there during the day varies, just depends on the dog. And like, if they have, a lot of people are working from home right now. Right. So convenient, it, it works. Um, and just depending upon the dog and how quickly the owner picks up um, the, the stuff that we're working on um, is the contingency for how long I'll be there for the day. And do you think this is something that you'll be able to continue to do, what, to do once this whole COVID episode is over like is this something that you see as being able to actually work like people are going to say all right we're going to work you can take out in our house with our dog for the day i mean with the way that things are happening right now in the economy it wouldn't surprise me i, I don't see this ending anytime soon um, right. a lot of people have realized that they don't need to um travel to a place to go work like a lot of people have been able to make those pivots um and work from home now so I, I just, I, I see this being something long-standing in that respect. Um, I mean, I've had clients before where they'd go to work and I would go to their house, either go pick up their dog or do training with them there. And then the next time we would meet up, 
rights to modify it. Because um, uh, at, at the end of the day, the dogs always learn things very quickly. And it's the owner that needs to have the one-on-one. Yeah. There's, as you know, there's just so many nuances with timing and body mechanics and, and, and energy and uh, leash handling skills. Okay. Do you think you can move inside? Because it's extremely windy and it's hard to hear. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's just I feel like no one else like I can hear you because I'm like focused, but I feel like other people probably can. Okay, let me see. So If you'll be bear with me, I'm gonna jump in the ranger and it'll take me okay. 20 seconds to get up to the house and I can go inside. Okay. We so, could do that. We'll get a cool view. I feel yeah. like it's nice out there. Yeah, we're, gonna your go, we're gonna go four wheeling real quick. All right, guys, we're going on a trip with Tiffany. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just give you the view since we're out here. Wow, that's beautiful. Yes, so well, that's a, uh, a stadium right there. My father does mounted um, uh, shooting off horseback where they like cut barrels and they have balloons on the barrels and you have to run a pattern on horseback and as you run the pattern you have to shoot the balloons the fastest time wins and so he holds that's those so events cool. here at his place yeah okay that's some, some real texas shit i'm sitting here in new york city and like <laughs> like just imagining it that's some real texas stuff that's cool you guys, oh, Raquel said you could yeah. hear. Hey, Larry, how are you? Hey, Annie. Hi, Larry. Hello, everybody. So, oh, look at this. We're going on an actual, we're going on the. the, the this thing can climb on. All right, guys. Sorry that I messed this up for everyone. I feel like. Some of you might have been able to hear, and now we're just kind of stalling for time. So, what are you guys up to while we wait? <laughs> um, I have some dogs. I can show you. Ooh. Here we go. <laughs> we to anybody who was watching and is still watching thank you for staying because this was not planned obviously but hopefully once tiff gets inside then we'll be able to see her again Ooh, can you see me now we could okay all right going inside better yes cool thank you yeah Sorry about some the people side. some people said they could hear you i couldn't so well so it'll be easier this way okay 
Okay, so back to your, for anyone who actually stuck around through Tiffany's little trip up the mountain, thank you. <laughs> you guys are cool. Um, so this reverse board and train, is that what you call it? Reverse board and train? Yeah, it's essentially like and what it is. How, how long is it? Is it like a set thing for every dog or do you like decide based on the dog how long you're going to actually make it last and all of that? Um, it depends. Uh, what I've, what I've currently been doing, um, again, it just depends on what we're working on, but what I've been doing predominantly, um, have been, um, 10 days or 14 days, or we might do two sets of 10 and just space out, um, some time after the first 10 days, and then they can work on some stuff. And then, uh, after that, we'll get back together again and continue. It's very cool. I was very intrigued when I saw you doing it because I don't think I've yet to see anyone who really does it that way. So a lot of people do one-on-ones and a lot of people have different systems for how they do their one-on-ones. But what you're doing is very different because you're essentially giving the dog the same amount of attention as it would get during a board and train for the most part. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's never leaving its home environment and you're getting to also have the owners much more involved on a daily basis. It's a very... It's a very interesting mix of the two ideas of the one-on-one -on -one with the board and train idea, the board and train style. You get to, I, th I feel like in a sense, you get more out of it. The thing that's the, I guess there's pros and cons to every style, every program, right? And sure. that's why I'm always interested in hearing how different people do it. The th one of the things that I think is beneficial about a board and train is separating the dog from the owners sometimes. But sure. I guess it also depends on what you're working with. So like, do you specialize in, in something specific or it's really just whatever, like what's your thing? So how can I put, so I remember when I first started, I mean, my foundation started with my hair sticking up, um, you know, positive reinforcement and teaching the dog how to learn things. And then when I saw the limitation that it could only take me and the dog so, so far, um, I had to start looking into the other side of it, right? Um, because I knew about like being repetitions and obedience behaviors. And then I started listening to people who were more knowledgeable and had been at it longer than me, like Larry Crone. And he kept talking about leveraging those, those little moments and changing some of those things around the home. So once I started to delve into laying down a structure, not just going through click treats and putting down boundaries, um, things started to change because that was an area uh, when I first started that I was pretty unclear on. I was like, what do you, what does it mean? The stuff around the home, like how you live with your dog, you know, because most people that, that was um, beyond them. But I mean, nine out of 10 clients that I work with, once we get that straightened out, the rest is easy. So I remember when Larry Crone said that obedience was like, 10% or 20%. And I remember like, what does that mean? Um, and now it's like, duh, how you live with your dog inside the home? Like what you allow, like, are they allowed on the furniture? Do you let them blow through thresholds? Are you letting their energy level go up high? It's like when you open the crate door, are, do they just come blowing out? You know, or do you, do you require them to give you your best where they come right. out nicely and calmly? Um, do they wiggle around when you're putting their equipment on? Uh, how they, their attitude is towards you as you go throughout the day, those are the things that are really important. So once I can lay down a template and a structure and go through all of that with the owner, it, 
it makes a, a difference every single time. So there's always yeah. progress once that's put in place. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, I see it with dogs that come, I see it in a different angle because I'm doing it through boarding train, but it's the same idea where a dog can come in and some dogs, depending on the dog, I don't necessarily work them on the first day or two days when they're with me. They just come and they're just here, right? And they're just, they get patty time, they get uh, time out of their crate and break time and whatever. But for the most part, they're just spending time here, but they're spending time here with my rules, which is everything you're discussing, right? And all that structure and all that way that you live with your dog and all these things that everyone speaks about, but immediately you see a change. And I think that's a big part of why a lot of trainers don't necessarily see the behaviors that owners see, right? So for example, a dog that, um, I just had one recently, a dog that was highly reactive, like it was, it was dangerously reactive, redirected on its owners. And I saw him be reactive with me just once. And it was the very first day that he was with me. And I never really head on addressed the reactivity because it never really came up. And a big part of that was just because of switching the way we lived with each other and giving him all that structure. And I think that, I mean, I, I believe you could have a trained dog, like, and I don't mean that it knows tricks and commands, but I believe you could have a trained dog in the sense of a well-behaved dog without, without teaching it any commands really. And like that all stuff is kind of, it's awesome, you know, and obviously it's necessary and dogs should know it, but I think it's almost, almost secondary to all the things that you're saying of that structure and everything like that. So I want to demystify that for a moment because that, um, it makes sense to dog trainers talking to each other about that. It's like, yeah, I understand yeah. what you think, but for the, the everyday dog owner, like I wanted so badly for somebody to take that encryption and tell me what it meant. You know, like, what do you mean by um, the dogs don't need to know any commands? It's about how you live with them. I mean, it looks like magic what we do when we're not saying a word. It's, it's the body language. Like, their body, their first language is first body language. And because we understand how to communicate through leash pressure and then fading that leash out um, and how we go through the day with them, you could literally not say a word verbally and the dog would still know what it is that you want. And I wish that uh, that would have been explained to me a little bit more because once I understood that they spoke through body language, it, it changed the game, right? Yep. So, but I, I totally know what you mean. Um, but understanding that I think was, was, was critical because until I understood that, I didn't see that the obedience stuff was meant to help in those situations, uh, but it wasn't the primary focus. Like once I had... You know, the foundational obedience behaviors like introduced those things helps uh tremendously in being able to describe to the, the dogs hey this is what i'm looking for you to do in this particular situation right yeah what i kept finding was that owners like they thought their dogs knew sit and down you know and everything else but when we when we always have discussions i'll tell them like can your dog do it under distractions duration and distance and I'll give them an example. I'll pull Winks out and I'll give them an example of what sit looks like proved under distraction, duration, distance with her. And then I'll have them do it with their dog, like on a video. Constantly. And once it's described like that, it's like they have this um, epiphany moment. Like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. You know, because 
when we add those things to the behavior, we're, we're giving three dimensions to it, right? Most dogs just have a, an introduction to those foundational behaviors. So the, a big part of the reason for the seeming disobedience and, and bad behavior is there's a huge breakdown in communication, right? So you can't communicate with your dog and speak the same language and have a hard time asking them to do stuff and to follow uh, your leadership, right? Yep, absolutely. That's the, the biggest thing is that when, when people say my dog doesn't listen, right? And I always like, but why should he? What, what should he listen to, right? What language have you taught him that he should listen to you? Like, I, if you speak to me in French, I'm not going to listen, right? And I'm not even ignoring you. I just don't know it. Like, I don't understand. So I'm not going to listen. I'm not even going to attempt to understand because it's such a foreign language to me that I'm not going to get it. And I think that's the part where where so many owners struggle. And again, like you give a very clear example, like distance, distraction, duration, like, and all of a sudden people realize, yeah, my dog actually doesn't know anything, right? <laughs> like it knows sit when you're standing right there with the treat. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I guess that's, that's the, the part where everyone struggles is because there's, there's a, a, a barrier in, understanding how dogs understand mm. right because we look at them as these little almost human like four-legged creatures and they should just understand because everyone's always had dogs and they always just understood and then all of a sudden when your dog doesn't listen it's like why is it not listening to me and so do you when you do your program um oh one second tiffany's sound is muffled christina we made it the best we could <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know what to say about that um that's yeah that's what somebody said that your sound is muffled hmm. how about now i can hear you hopefully hopefully christina can hear you too um <laughs> but when you do your program so do you start by teaching owners about like structure and all of that and have them start implementing that first and then work on the obedience stuff or is it all just one big thing? So we'll have a discussion first. And depending upon like what the, 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 the biggest problems are on the front end, I mean, the structure is going to get laid down first anyway. It's not like I'm going to go after like, it depends on what it is. Like if the dog is reactive on a walk, I'm not going to go straight after that, right? And then I'll lay the structure down, like how they live with their dog inside the home. And then we start from ground zero. Like what, what does your dog actually know? Not much, right? So... We start at foundations, like introducing a marker word. Um, the dog doesn't have food dry. We start building that up and we begin to control the dog's movements. Leash goes on, you know, creep manners. Um, and then teaching the owner how they need to modify their behavior and what they're doing inside the home so that they can become successful. I mean, even after the first day, it's, it's a lot the first day because we have a lot of different things that need to be covered first. Um, but always a, a structure gets laid down first. I have a, um, a, an article, uh, talking about what that whole process looks like. So if they need to make reference to it, mm -hmm. they can go back and, and, and read it. Cool. All right. Can we switch for a second? Because I love the martial arts side of you and I watch all those videos and I don't know shit what you're doing, but it looks cool. <laughs> And I'm just like, she's badass and it looks really cool. And I don't know what you're doing. It's just cool. But what do you practice? What is it? 
So, I really don't know anything about any of this stuff. I'm just sitting here watching and I think it's awesome. <laughs> um, so I do two different um, styles. The, the first is JKD, Jeet Kune Do, and it's the, the system that Bruce Lee put together and he built. Um, and then the weapons system that I train is a Filipino martial arts called Kali, K-A-L-I. Uh, it, it's a longer name than that. Uh, Pekiti Teresa Kali. But, okay, we'll uh, stick to Kali. Yeah, Kali <laughs> for sure. So they, their proficiency, they've been around um, uh, forever. Um, it's a really old system. They used it in um, special forces when the Spaniards tried to go over to invade the Philippines. Um, they, they were predominantly stick fighters, and they were able to win the, the first invasion from the Spaniards with stick fighting. And those guys had uh, more developed technology uh, going to war. So it's a really old system, and it's, it's amazing. Um, very effective. <laughs> and I'm just curious, because I listen to a bunch of other podcasts of people who do, like, martial arts and things and they always talk about how it affects different areas of their life does it play into your dog training in any way oh my god yes i doing martial arts like there's no bones about it no, no pun intended but it has made me a better dog trainer it it changed my life it, it really did um there's so many parallels between the two in fact i i wrote a couple uh posts about it on my dog training page what are the three ingredients? What are the three things that martial arts and dog training have in common? Um, and I said, passion is one, repetition and consistency. If you don't actually have a love for what you're doing, if you genuinely love your dog and you really want to have a, a badass relationship in life with them, then that means you're going to have to look at the truth of the matter, right? And you're going to have to go through the awkwardness and the uncomfortability of learning something new. When I first started, I didn't know shit. I was, I was willing to look goofy and flailing all over the place and, you know, um, be a novice, you know, but as I practiced and I was consistent and I got the repetitions in, that's when I started to develop proficiency. And it, it didn't just make me physically uh, lethal, it, uh, it developed my mindset. It completely changed and revised it, right? And just like in dog training, we talk about shaping uh, behaviors. We do it through small successive approximations, right? When we're mm -hmm. shaping a dog into a sit with food or into a down. Martial arts is exactly the same way. It's small successive approximations and you go through uh, different sequences, right? Whatever it you know happens to be that you're doing. And before you know it, where you flinch before, you're just going to have a natural conditioned response. So somebody throws a punch, and you're going to be able to go in and then deflect or um, counter correctly, right? So there's no reaction, but it's just a, the conditioned response. Right? So it's essentially dog training yourself because it's, it's, it's behavior, and behavior it, learning all works the same way. And the cool thing is you get to have that um, first-hand experience of being the the student rather than just the the teacher and the trainer so you kind of get it from the other end I think that totally. the what was it the three things you said passion repetition and consistency mm -hmm. essentially I, I would say that those are the three things that it takes to be successful in anything in life really 
And that's why I see, I see parallels from dog training to a lot of success in general in life, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you want to get good at something, first, if you're not passionate about it, you'll give up. And if you're not going to do it over and over, you're not going to get good. And if you're not consistent, essentially, I've, I've said this quote on this sh when I've like been talking to people so many times already, and I never know how to pronounce the guy's name who, <laughs> who says it. Um, but he, the quote is basically, if you know, when you know the way broadly, you'll see it in everything. Say it one more time. When you know the way broadly, you'll see it in everything. Hmm. It's a Japanese philosopher. So at least I have an excuse for not being able to pronounce his name because it's a hard one. And a good one. I'm going to look it up though, because I've said it so many times, but I think that like, that's really what it comes down to is you'll see it in, in, in martial arts. Someone else will see it in learning how to put together a car. Someone else will see it in training a dog, but essentially it's the underlying truth of being successful with anything is needing to be passionate about it, keep going at it, be consistent with it. And these are things that I guess just play out in different areas over and over again. And it's just the underlying factors that it takes to really make it in anything. Mm, no, I, I, I love that. You know, I think that just in general, there's a lot of things that you can fail at and be successful at in life. And most, most people, you know, and I just played, played it safe. And so I wouldn't go for something uh, originally, like when I was younger, towards the things that I was actually interested in because there wasn't practicality. So there's no security involved in that, right? Um, and most people wind up uh, being successful at a job that they hate, right? Yep. And so what's the point? What's the point of that? Now, I would, I had to ask myself, what would I be doing that even if I was failing at it, I would still love it, you know? Um, because each failure actually, have you ever heard of the term anti-fragile? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, so when something breaks down, it actually makes it stronger. Yeah. So you see that like with people who work out at the gym, um, who are doing self-development, um, dog training, martial arts, uh, studying through the breakdown process, we're actually rebuilding, you know? Um, and we become stronger as a result of it. So when I got courageous enough to be being willing to, to look silly and to be a novice and to go through the grind in the process of um, getting better, uh, I saw that it wasn't those, they weren't even really failures. They were small successes along the way that weren't necessary. Like there was no way to be successful without those things taking place to begin with. Right. It's only a failure if you actually end by those small steps and then you allow yourself to stop. Do you know Jonathan Haidt? Have you heard of him? Jonathan Haidt? Yeah. Mm -mm. So he wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And he speaks a lot about anti-fragility in there. Um, and he speaks about how, and I, I like this book a lot because I see a ton of correlation between dog ownership in the Western world and what he speaks about in America and in the Western world. But he speaks about um, children being overcoddled and overprotected. Obviously, protecting your kids is important and advocating is important, but overprotection and overcoddling 
to the extent where the uh, humans are naturally anti anti fragile, right? So we need to have like what you were saying. We need to have those um, ups and downs and those like cracks and those breaks in the muscles and the falling on the floor to get stronger and all that stuff that we're supposed to have growing up was starting to be taken away. And that's not just in a physical way. He, he talks about it more in, in a emotional sense. So where children were being overcoddled for their emotions, right? So he talks about like anti-bullying rules, for example, where obviously bullying is bad, but where that's over, over protection of the kids so that they can never play with each other without adults intervening, right? And never figure out how to deal with things. And because they were looked at as these very fragile beings and they came obviously from a good place. Um, but what I saw very, when I read his book, I saw a very strong correlation between that and, and dogs and dog training and dog ownership in general, where we see more and more dogs having behavioral issues as culturally we shift towards more and more treating dogs that are actually really tough, resilient animals, like, like they need to be wrapped in, bubble wrap their whole life right and if anything happens to them like it's the end of the world and if they have a little bit of pressure on them and they're a little bit nervous or they're a little bit unsure like we stop everything we're doing to give them a hug and a kiss and let them know it's okay and what ends up happening is then we get a dog that's a total basket case right and can't handle life because they never had those ups and downs and those tough situations and that that broken times to get stronger like what you're speaking of anti-fragility so it's an interesting thing that that i noticed when i was reading his work and i was learning a lot about that idea of anti anti-fragility of what i see a lot in a lot of the dogs that i work with and a lot of the dogs that i see in general with behavioral issues that they don't because behavioral issues in dogs don't come naturally for the most part obviously there's the dogs out there that are genetically messed up but in general most dogs don't naturally have anxiety, let's say, right? Or naturally have like separation anxiety. Perfect example. What was your dog's name again? Archimedes. Archimedes. What is that? Uh, so I was on this big sword in the stone kick. It was a Disney movie. And Merlin had a highly educated talking owl named Archimedes. So I named, okay. her, named her after the owl. <laughs> okay, cool. So Archimedes got separation anxiety. Anxiety not on purpose, but because of you, in a sense, over coddling, right? Always being there, never giving the dog a sense of independence, right? And that's, that's that. And that's why I lit up when you said anti-fragility, because it's, since I read his book, I've been seeing it more and more and noticing it. Like if you read his book and there'll be things in there that everybody will, dis a lot of people will disagree with and like different things like that, just because politics in general, but if you read it with an open mind and then switch out the coddling of the American mind to the coddling of the American dog, then you will know how to fix your dog's behavioral issues and what you what role you play in it very quickly because yeah. the correlation is very strong. It's a, it's an interesting thing. No, I, I love that you brought this up. My my uh, uncle Martin, uh, who's the dog trainer, he used to tell me, you don't we don't pick the dogs that we want. We pick the dogs that we need. You know, and it's very telling because like we'll just use Archimedes again. Uh, there were things I needed to do. Uh, it's very easy to, to lean, right? And I leaned yep. on for a lot of emotional, you know, 
strength um, instead of learning how to lead her, right? So uh, to your point, you know, with the emotional coddling, it really pointed to what I needed to fix because as soon as my behavior changed, she got better. So um, when I meet clients, my tagline for work is um, helping dogs and people because it really, it really is that. Like I'm not a, you know, a therapist or anything, but th there's a reason why horses and dogs are used in therapy because they mirror very well. And they'll reflect back to us what the truth the truth is. Yeah, it is. There, there's an opportunity there for growth, but it takes somebody who has courage to be able to let go of the story they've told themselves about who they are, and to do the same thing with the dog. Yeah, I think it's the hardest part of dog training for the owner. Um, like I can speak from my own experience because it's easier to do that than to try to put it on someone else. It's better that way. But like, like my dog that got me into training, right? That's my Marley. And he was highly reactive and dangerous and like a bad dog. And I can call him bad. No one else could, but he was a bad dog. Right. And I worked on a ton of things. Like I taught him obedience and I even introduced him to to tools like prong cows and e-cows, but I still struggled for a long time until I realized the role that I played in all of it. And that was the hard part. That was really the hard work. Like it was easy to teach him to sit and lay down and go to place and things like that. Um, like I didn't know about training, but once I learned how it works, it wasn't, wasn't that difficult. I figured it out and we did it. But then the hard work came when I actually realized that like I play a real pull, a real role in this. Right. And, I think that's the part where so many people struggle because it's easier to look at a dog's behavior as just the dog's thing mm. than it is to say, like, this is also kind of a part of my thing. And that's tough. Looking in a mirror is always harder. But I, yeah. I, I love that idea of getting the dog that you need and that, that you're looking at, like, the mirror of what you need help with. And it's not to say that a dog's behavior is the owner's fault always. No, but it's no. more to say of like, look which where you can play a role and what you can change in yourself that in the long run probably will make you a better person and will also make your dog a lot better. And because it's never changing yourself to make yourself worse, right? <laughs> like it's always a, a, a development thing that you'll end up coming out better too. It's just, it's work and it's not the fun stuff, but it's the stuff that really works. And it's also the part that trainers can't teach, can't you know? Teach the part about changing i think no meaning we can we can tell you what can change in you but we can't do it for you right right that's what i meant by we can't teach like obviously we can say like if you work on this thing and or whatever it is separation anxiety you work on being okay without needing your dog because a lot of that is where it stems from like like you're leaning onto the dog as an emotional crutch right mm -hmm. And we can say that if you're doing that, your dog's going to continue to have separation anxiety. And if you get better being independent from your dog and your dog gets better being independent from you and that whole thing. But then like, we can't do that work for you. Even if you take a dog to a board and train and get it over its separation anxiety and all of that, but then the owner still relies on that dog as an emotional crutch when it comes back or when it finishes up your style program, however the training works, then it's not going to change anything in the long run because the owner the owner's role is still there and that hard work is what still has to be done. Absolutely. I mean, 
the owner is the most important piece. If they're not willing to, to continue on with what we what the dog learns and to modifications, I mean, um, it's it's funny. Let me ask you this, Russ. Do you find that your client base are like a certain caliber of people? Like I, I find that predominantly, like the people that I, I wind up working with are usually driven. They they're not af afraid to challenge themselves. They're willing to learn. Um, and I mean, this is like ninety percent of them. Okay, I have had a few who were just like, you know. And it was telling because those that small group of people who weren't willing to to hold their dog accountable to yeah you know enforce these rules it was because they mentally weren't ready to change themselves um but yeah yeah telling i think that i mean the ones that definitely the ones that are successful i can say like this the ones that are really successful are the ones that are really driven really open to change, really ready to change, ready to work. The ones that are not all in on that, and I tried to work only with people who are all in as much as I could, but the ones that are not all in, there's not. it's not possible to have that level of success. There's a reason why, I mean, I have a great, a great example. So there's a dog that came to me. If you guys are watching, you know who you are and you're awesome. There's a dog who came to me recently, a Husky mix, and this was the worst case of fear that i've ever worked with and i struggled a lot like training this dog i had to do things totally differently than i regularly would and rechange like change up my whole system like it made me really think and learn and work a lot which is awesome i enjoyed it and i kept the dog for an extra week rather than like my three-week program she was with me for four weeks and at the end of the program i told the owners like let's keep things very simple you're going to just work on your walks and your in-home behavior and mm -hmm. very simple stuff. And I even said, keep your walks like in the quiet part of the area. So like one side of their house is like a busy, like one side of the block is a really busy street, like with all the restaurants and stores. And the other side is more like residential. I said, walk that way only. Right. I was like, let's just keep this as easy as possible just so that it can work. But they're now taking their dog through the whole main strip with all the cars and motorcycles and scary stuff. And they're taking, they have their dog out when workers are coming to construction workers to the house. They're doing all these awesome things that I honestly didn't expect. I was like, it's not, you don't have to do that. Just let's keep it simple so your dog can handle it. So she doesn't have a nervous breakdown, this dog, because that's how she was. And so that you guys can enjoy life. But the reason why I'm saying it over is because they were the types of people where they dove into it and they changed a lot about themselves. I know they did because it was a struggle to not over coddle this dog to not baby this dog all the time that was what they knew that was how they did things that was what this ba this dog was their baby and that was just the way life was with them and they put in that work extremely hard and now they're doing things that i honestly didn't even care if they ever got there i was just like let's keep it simple and go for walks that you could actually walk and your dog's not dying on the street from fear right but those those types of people are the ones who are going to be the most successful um that was just a was it's a story that's on my mind because it was more recent and because they really were the most extreme example of that i can think of where the dog was most extreme and the owners also were the types of people that could have gone either way 
they could have easily like the way i perceived them was they could have easily gone to like we're just we're gonna coddle our dog and baby it again but they they pushed the other way and did what was uncomfortable and hard for them and they're getting much more out of it and i think that if people want success out of it, they're going to have to be uncomfortable a little bit, but then you get the most out of it. Mm, it's just, it's, it's so much like working out. Like it doesn't feel good when you're on that, you know, your fourth set, you know, 15th rep and you're straining to like get one more in, you can feel like the strain on your muscle, but it takes that uncomfortability and you're going to feel better after the fact because you're going to reap the, the benefit. Yep. And I have also seen too that, if you can demonstrate to the owner, like with their dog, that they are capable of being able to do something. Like if they, I have found that when they see me working with the dog, they're like, oh, wow. Yeah. They, they can do it. And then they have that feeling like, well, then maybe I can too. As long as they can ha hang on to possible. Because now I can see, now I have a vision for what that could look like and to be. It's important. I feel like you have to be able to pull people with a vision and, and show them that they're capable. And once they start seeing those results themselves, and the, it's, it's empowering, right? I mean, growing up, Lassie, right? I remember like watching that on Nick at Night and thinking, I want my very own relationship like that. Um, to be able to have that kind of bond. And people can have their own version of that if they're, if they're willing to to learn you know it's just but yeah i think you're right it depends but if they have a, a vision to be pulled with if they can see um that it, it can be done if maybe not all on the front end but through those going through the motions and the repetitions they'll be able to see marked progress like day to day week to week through the consistency i mean it is it's it's super empowering yeah you're giving them hope yeah when they see their dog that they thought couldn't do anything, like even doing something simple, like simple to us, walking down the street, right? Like a lot of dogs that, at least that I work with, like either don't go for walks or they pull their owners down the street. The walk is not fun for anyone. And when they see their dog, like going for an actual walk or laying down calmly or any of the things that we teach dogs to do, it's, it's even if they haven't done the work to get it yet, it's just showing that your dog is actually capable of this. Now, like, are, you're capable of it, too. Let's make it happen together. Mm. And hope is the biggest thing. You know, if there's no, if there's no hope in it, then it's not going to work. Totally. And the knowing that when you leave, you've left them with a skill set that, that they can continue to build on so that they can take that relationship further and further along is is a good feeling, right? Because going back to what you had originally said about um, the uh, the parallels between like dog training and martial arts or anything for that matter, you see the dots connect up in one arena to another, the, the sky is the limit. The only thing that stands in your way is, is, is ourselves, right? Yeah. And it is, and I, that's probably one of the best feelings um, is knowing that um, once that foundation is set in place, then you can continue to build and to refine it and to make it better. Um, you know, dog training is just like martial arts in this respect too. I'm so grateful that I can't outgrow martial arts, right? Like I'm, I am about to test out for my brown belt and, you know, then black belt, but then there's like varying degrees of black belt and I'll never 
complete the system and there's other systems to study too and thank god for that you know i if i ever find myself you know one day saying like well i know everything that there is to know then i need to get out of the game you know because uh, the i'm a student and forever will be and i feel like that's what makes me um in a good position to be successful because i'm always willing to learn in a new way or to hear from somebody else's point of view and something you can't just cookie cutter each dog right each dog's different like to your point about the fearful dog that you were working with if you made modifications you extended the time and it challenged your skill set but you were willing to walk through that process yeah i think a lot of people would have gave up you know or be like ah i can't fix this dog but even i mean if it would have been me and i had a challenging dog like that i know that i would have had the thought like can i this dog can i help this dog but going back to what my foundation is and i think this needs to be true for everybody dog trainer and dog owner you have to love the dog enough to say that i love you too much to let you fail right yeah. and i'm not going to enable you i'm going to show you how to walk through things successfully stressful good things bad things like that's that's love and loyalty is being able to show it, whether that's a friend, a family member, like, I think it's better and more accurate to say dogs are family. They're not children. I can understand why people say that, you know, completely. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be affectionate and love on our dog, but we have to do so in a way that's strategic, you know? It's like, do I love you enough to make sure that your actual needs are met, right? Do I love you enough to to let you get stronger through that anti-fragile process. Yeah. I think we had an interesting discussion about this once on my Instagram. I don't know if you remember, right? And it's it's an interesting topic because I like that you kind of disagreed with me on the way I put it there because it made me think about it. But for people, okay, so I'll go back a step. So I had written, um, I put up my, my dog training thoughts every day. And sometimes they're like not as good as others, but um, <laughs> I wrote, I wrote basically, I think it was love has nothing to do with changing your dog's behavior, something to that effect, right? Or you don't need love to change your dog's behavior. And Tiffany had said that, had commented on it that you disagree because it all comes from a place of love. Without that love, it wouldn't happen in the first place. Basically what you're saying now, without that underlying level of love. And after we were like kind of going back and forth and discussing it, we agree. And the thing is that what I think we what I think a lot of people look at love is an when it comes to their dogs specifically is an immature type of love. Totally. And it's like a, a okay, it's like a little girl with her baby doll, right? And and she cuddles it and she brushes it and she she dresses it and puts it to sleep and all this stuff, but there's nothing there's nothing more tangible than that. Eventually she outgrows it right and then she grows up as an adult and you want like a different type of real love right and i think that a lot of dog owners get stuck at that immature baby type of love with their dogs where it's all just about petting and and coddling and having fun and affection and that's great that's an important part of it i'm all for it right like i'm extremely affectionate with my own dogs but if you don't get to a deeper level of love where you're willing to do what's not necessarily comfortable for you, but what's good for the dog, and it might not even be so comfortable for the dog, but it's good for the dog, right? 
that's when you really build a much higher level relationship. That's more like a companion than a pet. Mm. And I think that's a, a lot of people get stuck at that stage because it's easy. It feels really, really good. Um, and it's quick instant gratification, which obviously that's awesome. Everyone loves instant gratification and it's just always there. It's just, you just always have it. But then when you start to look at the bigger picture and you start to look at what you're really struggling with or what you like, if you set, think of real goals, you start to realize that where you're at is a very low level. And if you want to get further, your love is going to have to get deeper and it's going to have to be more about loving the dog for what's best for the dog. Right. And loving for the dog in a way that's not always fun and comfortable and made me think about it a lot. You brought it up. What does yeah. it say? So you wrote love has nothing to do with changing your dog behavior. Yeah. And yeah. This was a really good conversation. And before I jump into the comments, I, I want to add on to what you just said, because I really love that you were saying that um, the first level that most people are at, it's like this cupcake immature love. And then as you mature, it, transcends it becomes more valuable right and um so socrates had a symposium where he wrote like on the different levels of love um you know platonic uh, friendship and then eros which is a sexual more romantic love and then agape which is divine love and the reason i named my pitbull eros right um is because in that symposium he argues that um, so there was the, the argument was that you can't experience divine love through uh, in, indulging the flesh, right? But uh, he argued that when motives are pure, when we act righteously, um, and we take appropriate action towards the other person, it is we are able to transcend to a more divine and pure love through eros we could experience divine love. And I just love that concept that even with our flaws, when we discipline ourselves, it is possible for us, you know, you have to assimilate all the, all the aspects of who we are. Same thing with the dog. Yes. And no negative and positive. When that's assimilated together and there's no more conflict, then you finally have acceptance at that point. Then you finally have success. So just wanted to touch on that because I feel like, it is. It, it transcends to a more mature yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, laughing. Okay, I'm laughing because of Larry Crone, but you can't see the comments. <laughs> All right. I'm going to show everyone. Every Larry, you said it, so now everyone's going to see it. Larry said, I indulge in <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> well, public, so... <laughs> Yeah, but he, he indulges it in, in private, but speaks about it publicly. That's right. Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah, this was a really good conversation that we had. Yeah. No. Um, so, do you want me to read? Like, yeah, go for it, because I, I think it was a good one. It's literally what we ended up talking about now, and yeah. then we had a good dialogue about it that was very clear. Yeah, it was super good. So, um, So, I wrote a comment, and I said... Uh, I don't know, this is just my two cents, but I believe it starts uh, in love. Real love does the work. Real love wakes up early and stays awake until the work is finished. Real love does the hard things. Real love means taking an honest look at our deficiencies so that behavior can change. I think a lot of people have a misinterpretation of what real love actually is, which is what you're saying. 
They allow, enable, look the other way, afraid that if they pull back on any of these things, your dogs won't like them, and it'll ruin the relationship, uh, even though the relationship is already suffering. The underlying issue, I believe, is that so many people have an emotional gap within themselves that they try to make their dogs fill. But until humans get the courage to realize that the reason that they do that to their dogs is because they are afraid to face and love the parts of themselves that, that were rejected, this kind of behavior will continue and it is destructive. They have a fear of changing themselves. Who will they be now that they cannot derive their sense of self from that wound? And that's scary for a lot of people. The fact that there's fear present proves that it can't be real love. When real love is present, it casts out fear. Real love demands honesty, and without it, no behavior can change for the better, for dog or human, and real love can't exist. I like went super deep. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be like its own post. It's so perfect. It just it explains everything. And and something just now hearing you read it, I heard it differently than when I read it even, but you said that they are fear that their dog won't like them, mm -hmm. right? And it's not that their dog won't love them, it's that their dog won't like them because love is much more than that. And love is that deeper, higher level relationship where it's not just about feel good in the moment. It's not just about being liked, right? Mm -hmm. It's something deeper and, and stronger that pushes that forward and that passion that you were describing. And I think that it was interesting that you chose that word that they have fear that their dog won't like them because like is like, not like is like, like is, <laughs> like is a lower level than love, right? It very clearly is. It's like, I like pizza and I love my dog, right? And a lot of people are worried. They have that fear that their dog won't like them. Mm. And because the love is not actually strong enough, the true love of like, what we're discussing is love, that mature level of love where you're willing to go deep with it and really push past the fears and all of that stuff and get uncomfortable and stay up late. And everything that you described is much deeper than just their dog not liking them. Yeah. I just found that interesting, the choice of words. It's, it says it right there. It's cool. Yeah. That, that discussion was very, was very cool for me. I liked it a lot because it made me really think about the message of how I was giving it off because at the end of the day we're essentially saying the same thing right yeah. but it i was so, saying like sorry? it was broad like yeah it has nothing to do with changing behavior and like you said everybody has this broad interpretation of what so what i read a different way and then somebody else who is cupcakey with their dog you know would read it completely different right you read it based on the relationship that you have and strive for with your dogs which is oh my gosh <laughs> i don't know what just fell <laughs> the fan blew things over hendrix lay down bud oh, that was um, <laughs> they all jumped <laughs> but your your relationship the way you view love with your dogs and the way you strive for it is very different than the average person say that you work with right and and or that i work with or just dogs out there in general and i think the goal is to to teach them and to help them come to that understanding so they can switch that and make it stronger, make it more of a mature thing. I look at it a lot now. Recently, I've, I've had this way of thinking about it where it's taking a dog from being a pet to a companion because a pet, what makes, what makes a pet enjoyable is 
like why why do we like to pet dogs because it makes us feel good right essentially at the end of the day what what releases oxytocin you know just the physical in, in us in us humans right it makes us no no i understand in them but but in general why most people pet a dog if they really were to answer it honestly is because it feels good right yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that at all i'm not saying in a negative way but they do it because it feels good and that's just and that's why it's called a pet right that's why our dogs are called pets because everything we're doing is just about feel good with them but when you build your relationship deeper and make it where the love is deeper you don't just like each other but you have this higher level of love that you were describing that's when you become more of a companion right because for a companion you're willing to like a real companion you're willing to do things that aren't necessarily comfortable aren't necessarily always about you sometimes it's about the other person right and then there's that give and take and then that companion does something that's more about you and not for them because that's love right and when you build that relationship with the dog where it gets to that that's when you become a companion and that's when life gets really good because now it's not all just about you it's about you it's about the dog and it's a back and forth and the whole relationship changes then it's a relationship that's it's so much deeper it's hard to describe anyone can describe what it's like to have a dog because everyone has dogs nowadays right and it's like it feels good it's a lot of fun i love to pet it i love to go for walks with it whatever it is you love to do but when there's this relationship that has all the things that every trainer likes to talk about but it has the structure and the boundaries and the leadership and the guidance and all of that fun stuff or not fun stuff then that's when you have a companion that's when you have a dog that like what do people like to call like a dog that can go with you everywhere right because it's a companion yeah, right it comes with the fruits of that labor bring uh not just friendship but you can trust them and they right. you there's loyalty which means that they can have more freedom which means that you guys can successfully navigate through this world together i'm when i ask people if i threw a ball on the street for your dog and said, leave it, would your dog abandon the pursuit of that ball and come straight back? And they'd be like, no. I'm like, even if there was a car coming, would your dog recall to you? They're like, no. And it's like, okay. So let's make sure that we can teach your dog how to be safe off leash. Let's give, teach you how to communicate with your dog so that you can do that. And make sure that your dog understands the language of these tools so that they can be safe. Even if they're, there's no leash attached, or they're not right by your side, you know, right. with that, that structure and the boundary and everything is re the respect and trust. You can't have any legitimate longstanding relationship, regardless of dog or human, if there's no trust, and respect. Like 100%. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's like, I wish more owners got it <laughs> because life is so much better that way. Right. As like being that owner on the other side, I obviously always loved my dog, right? I'm like Marley's my first dog. Obviously, I always loved him. I even loved him when he was an asshole. Like I still loved him. He he destroyed my tons of money worth of stuff. Like I kept him. I still loved him, but I didn't like him. And I like didn't. It wasn't like I liked him. I didn't love him. <laughs> it wasn't like the same the same way that we can describe it. Like having the idea of having him off leash and trusting him was like a joke. The idea of even going for a walk around people and trusting him that he's not going to lunge at them was a joke, right? So there was no, there was no trust. And the one, like the main thing that it boils down to that really built that trust was, I think, boundaries and was that 
not fun stuff. It wasn't just the low level pet and affection and fun at all because I was always doing that. Um, you know, like obviously I didn't did that. That's what you're supposed to do when you got a dog is cuddle it and bring it into your bed and mush it and love it and all that stuff. But it was adding in the not fun part of it all. Not fun for me because it's like not, it's not fun at the end of the day. It's not fun to tell your dog no, unless you understand that it's for a greater good. And then when you get that greater good picture, then the whole relationship is so much stronger. Like the trust that I have in him now is so different than that trust adds to the love and the love adds to the trust and it makes it all that much stronger. It changes the whole thing. Absolutely. It's it's just like, you know, anybody's job. Like you have to get the oil changed in your car. You got to pay internet, you got to pay rent. Like, are those things fun? new but by disciplining yourself and doing those things now you have a house to live in you have a yep. you can put gas in your car you're not going to get you get pulled over you're not going to get arrested because you have insurance you're driving around with no insurance so yeah it, it, it's just shitty that and i think this is just we're, we're told that these things aren't desirable like oh it's shitty i have to pay bills on both but really it's like I feel good when I close a deal. I know that I put 110% in working with, you know, my clients, their dogs. And so when I go to do those things, like pay bills or pay insurance or whatever, um, or have to discipline myself or my dogs, you know, I, there is an inherent good feeling there because I know that I'm challenging myself to be the best version of me. Right. You know, we, we go through these motions like, oh, it's another Monday. We're just living for the weekend. That's horrible, you know? If that's the case, I mean, legitimately, like, I wake up every day excited that I get to, to do what I love. I'm like, you're saying living for the weekend. I'm like, what's a weekend? <laughs> like, I haven't seen one of those in a while. So <laughs> if I'm living for it, then I'm going to be waiting a while. Yeah. L Gary V said, like, if you're if you're living for the weekend, then like he's in typical Gary V style, your shit is broken. Mm -hmm. But like, it's the reality. And it's also the reality of how so many people live, you know, because and I think even obviously it's hard to for me to say it because like I do what I love, but I didn't always like even if you're not doing what you love, it's a perspective that you can change where you're still all in on it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it it makes it that much less sucky it makes it that much less shitty when you're able to actually do it because you're in on it and like there's a bigger goal out of it like you said like paying your bills right that in itself is a simple one like so many people can't pay your bills and you're able to pay your bills and you go to your shitty job in order to pay your bills so that you can now have the house you live in and now it's not about the shitty job it's about something bigger. It's about having the roof over your head. It's about having the nice car that you want to drive. Whatever it is, it becomes something different. And there's always that. It's It all boils down to perspective because someone can even, even be doing what they love and at the end of the day hate it because they not, they're not in it for something bigger. They're not passionate about it in a real way. Like you said, you wake up excited every day. That's awesome. So many people don't wake up excited every day and they might even be doing something that they enjoy but they're just like, oh, crap, I got to go work, right? Mm. And I think it boils down to a, a perspective shift of having that <laughs> passion 
to start with, right? What are you really passionate about? And it doesn't mean that you're doing what you're passionate about. But in general, most people are passionate about living. I mean, they want to stay alive. It's that simple. Most people are passionate about having a roof over their head, right? Having gas to put in their car. Like most people, are, I think, are passionate about it because they're upset when it doesn't happen. So if you just use those things, sorry? Maybe dispassionate and pissed off. Like right. the opposite of that. Right. And using those things as like your your motivation instead of the actual shitty job that you wake up not happy to go to, wake up happy that you can pay your bills. I know that was my perspective because I, even when I was doing what I love, because I was working with dogs, I wasn't doing it like on my own and I wasn't so happy about it always. But what kept me going was changing that perspective on it all. We're like, okay, I get to wake up and I get to go to a job and I get to work with dogs and I get to pay bills and I get to do these things, right? Instead of I have to do it. And then that just carries over to now. I mean, there are days I want to stay in bed, <laughs> but I get to, I get to do things. So it's awesome. You, you had, um, you did a, a interview with Chad from team floppy ears and y'all talked a lot about mindset stuff. Yeah. How important that is, you know, and of course, like in the beginning, and I, I tell owners this all the time when they're learning a new skill, like doing something with the leash, like fun fact. It takes at least 64 repetitions for a neural pathway to get grooved out into the brain before it starts to feel natural. And that's true with martial arts. And also letting your feet, like a negative emotional response, letting that be a, a trigger to, uh, to catch it and go, let me bring in gratitude instead or think of um, how I can flip this on its head and make it something positive. And it will feel awkward. You'll feel like you're lying to yourself and you're being like, you ain't really happy. You just are fucking miserable, whatever. It's going to feel like that, you know? But at least 64 repetitions until it starts to feel more natural. And I always yep. tell my clients, aim for that in a day. And tell me that it doesn't feel better than it was when you first started. Right? And that is. That's how you change, change your mind, literally. Like, you want to go back to, like, you know, operant classical conditionings through the repetition. If, if the passion's not there on the front end, just by going through the motions of that and practicing, you can create that. 100%. 100%. If you, if you tell yourself, and even more so if you do it out loud, but people think it's weird to talk to yourself, but if you tell yourself something is good, right, or that you're grateful or that you're happy, you will become happy. Like no matter how much you try to fight against it, it will eventually, it's going to happen. It's just the way the mind works. Um, I did this thing when I, it was literally this topic. So I used to listen to a lot of Zig Ziglar. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, and he, he talks about this idea of like the first encounter of your day is going to be what sets the tone for the day. Right. And then he had this he also spoke a lot about changing your self-talk which is really what we're what we're describing and so i decided i'm going to put those two things together and do an experiment like let's see if it really works so this is when i used to work at a training facility a daycare boarding dog facility and i used to open the shop up at six in the morning and i would pick up one other staff on the way to work i would pick her up from her house because she lived on the way there and usually like we'd get in the car and not talk to each other. Like we we're both half asleep and like drinking our coffees and just not wanting to be there. 
and it would just be like the music playing, whatever. And I decided, I was like, okay, let's, let's do an experiment. So I was like, can you just humor me? And so you're the first person I see every morning, right? And we start our day together, whether we like it or not. Let's just, just humor me. Let's see if this works for like the first, just as a two week thing that we're going to start the day. When you get in the car, we're going to say good morning to each other. And we're going to say today is a great day. Not going to be, but it is a great day. And say three things that we're grateful for. Now the day just started, but what's cool is within the first five minutes of your day, there's a ton to be grateful for if you actually look at it that way. So we started, so she's like, okay, I'll do it. Like humoring me. Right. So we started doing it. And after two weeks was over, I was like, okay, you don't have to do it with me if you don't want to anymore. Right. And she's like, no, I like it. Like let's continue doing it. And it became what we did every day till I stopped working there. And it changed like she came over to me after a while and she said like her whole day changed mm -hmm. and it was literally rewiring our brains, even though I did it as kind of like, all right, let's see how this really works type of thing. Right. And she was doing it just because like, all right, let me humor Russ. Like it's another one of his weird things. And, but at the end, like our, our day started to get better and the stress of like being around tons of barking dogs and craziness and customers and all that was less stressful. And it was setting that, I guess you could call it a neural pathway or whatever you, right? That would be like the proper way of saying it. But it was creating that new groove in our brain of something positive to, to ride with for the rest of the day. And it really works. It's, it's a very powerful thing that sounds, it sounds silly because we did it out loud, talking out loud, even though like, and I, I continued to do it after I stopped working there for a while still, like just by myself i would just talk to myself out loud in the morning or say it to a dog so it doesn't look as crazy and <laughs> but it's it's a powerful thing like if if you people want to try it try it it's a cool thing let me know how it feels oh, i love that you did that and it does it feels kind of funny in the beginning or, or awkward or not real and it's cool that you started it off as an experiment because that open-mindedness like okay it's just you know i'm gonna try it. no big deal and then it became it started to feel good after a few weeks. When when somebody tells you something negative, you need to have 16 more counters to that. Like, oh, you're a bad person. You need to have 16 more people to be like, oh, you're a badass. And, and right. to, to neutralize that negative response. So it makes sense why the repetitions have to be there. Because once those are in place, you can go back to neutral or positive much quicker. But that's why it feels awkward or it puts us into a feeling of doubt, like, well, maybe I am bad, whatever. And then when you have somebody practicing it with you, that's really powerful. Yeah. It kind of like builds up mental ammunition for when the shitty stuff comes your way. It's like you're already, you're armored for it because you have this daily thing, this repetition of positivity, positivity, positivity. So when something negative comes, it's going to take a lot more to break through it. If you're, Telling if you're talking to yourself shitty all day and like having all of that negativity, and even if it's not negative, even if it's just, just kind of neutral, right? But the reality is that there's a ton of negativity in the world. So when that negativity hits, it's going to be a lot easier to get through to you and make it really affect you in a bad way if you're not armored with it. And the only way to armor against it is to counteract it with extreme positivity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's that was the most beneficial part of it for me was having that armor. It was like it didn't matter as much. Things rolled off quicker and easier because I had a wall of 
positivity that it had to bounce off. So it had to go through like a couple of weeks worth of like positivity for it to actually get through to me. Positivity. It had to get through the positivity. <laughs> yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool little experiment I did and it was very, very life changing. That's why I like to talk about it. Yeah, it's funny because there's also like hacks that you can do if you're feeling down. If you put a pencil in your mouth and lightly bite down on it, the muscles in your face activate like the ones that you do when you smile and it will change your 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 chemistry in your brain so you'll start feeling better. So it's like nobody's watching, go ahead and try it, right? And you will, you'll feel the corners of your mouth and you'll feel your chemistry in between. Another thing that's a, another good hack, and this is true when we work with dogs, is body posture, right? Um, like, you got to have make sure that that's correct. If you're feeling shitty most, or depressed, people who feel that way are walking, like, head down, shoulders slumped over, you know? And this is hilarious, because I've tried this. I heard Tony Robbins say, uh, he's like, get in a Superman yeah. woman and put your head up and do the pencil thing. And you will start to feel better if you're not laughing at yourself. Right? right. The best part of Tony Robbins experiments or whatever, like I used to, so I used to do, I think it was last year, two years ago, I used to do like a weekly Q and A show. Right. So I would have it like people ask me questions all week and then I would respond in a long form video and just answer all the questions, but I'd be doing it like on camera and my friend would read the questions so that it was kind of like more of a back and forth thing because someone else would read the questions. I wasn't just talking to myself. So I would always, before I put the camera on, I would do it like Tony Robbins talks about body movement like this and making noises with your mouth and like all sorts of weird stuff. And I would do it. But halfway through, I would just be laughing so hard at myself that I didn't need to finish it because I already felt free and alive. But emotion is comes from motion, right? Like and your movement creates it. It's like so simple. If you're feeling shitty and you get up and go for a walk, you're going to feel better. Right. Right. Like about the exercise, it's the action that you take. It's the, the movement. It does. It changes everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in my next few videos with the thing in my mouth. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on you. <laughs> so back to dogs for a second, even though I think this all actually has to do with dogs, really. But if there was one thing that you wish every dog owner would know, what would it be? There's one thing that I would want every dog owner to know what would, um, um, this is like a, the post you're like, it's like a broad statement. Let me think, um, that we're all capable of changing and getting better. But it's a team effort. You have to be the leader. You have to be what? The leader. You have to be the leader. Mm -hmm. I love that. Basically encompasses everything that we were saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to change, then your dog's not going to either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, uh, when you interviewed uh, Sean O'Shea from The Good Dog, he, he uh, posed the hypothetical. Um, we want our dogs to listen to us, but are you somebody worth following? I wouldn't, right. wouldn't even say worth. I would say, are you trustworthy? Can you be trusted to lead? You know, and it's not a slam on somebody's self-worth. 
I mean, you don't know what you don't know, but reframe that. Are you willing to learn the skills that it's going to take to step into the best version of you so that you can do your job? And learn helps you in all the other arenas of your life. If you're capable of change, humans are the apex predator because we have the most, um, we have the ability to change and adapt. It's not the, the strongest, it's the most adaptable. And that's what has made us at the top of the food chain is because we yeah. have capacity to do so. And so many people, I think, you know, don't realize, like, they're actually a hell of a lot more resilient and powerful than, than they realize. We made it this far. <laughs> like, we made it this far. We're still here. Like, we're pretty resilient. A lot of animals went extinct. We're still here. Totally. Yeah, and the the struggle, I guess, just comes down to... See, like, uh, if we use, like, we're still here example, what I was saying. Like, evolution, evolutionarily, is that the word? Does that make sense? I think so. <laughs> that we're here because we had to adapt. And we had to change in order to exist, to stay to, for survival. But then when it comes down to changing, not necessarily because you have to, but finding something that you're so passionate about that you want to, like like your dog or something like that, that's, that's more challenging for a lot of people. But that's, again, where the real good change happens. That's when the real work comes out. That's when you get real results out of it all because you, you do the real work. You change yourself, right? And... I recently have been adding all this uh, this to my program, like doing dog training. You've probably seen it um, in some of the more recent videos. My clients having their dogs in heel position, healing nicely down the street, and they're twirling sticks on the walk, right? It's like awfully aggressive dog comes and runs up. There is something about being in motion, learning how to use your body, and being in touch with them that becomes extremely empowering. Quite, you know, there's... There's so much written about just exercise because of the, the benefit, state of mind benefits that come from that physiologically. Like, leading cause of death in the United States is diet related illnesses. Like, over 40% of people are obese. Not just taking a walk, learning how to make your body connect is empowering. You're like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Right? So, now I have really been starting to blend the martial arts piece more you know obviously into the dog training stuff because i show them you know like they don't know how to do this one sequence thing in the beginning but by the time we're finishing the week they can throw it out and they can do you know stick sequence to protect themselves on the walk Whether i think that's dope dog or, or some asshole trying to like mug you like they're gonna feel equipped to be able to handle that situation. yeah i think that's so cool like my favorite video that I've seen you put out is you showing how to advocate for your dog, but you're basically just showing off your martial arts. Let's be real. And, <laughs> but it was really, it was really cool because you were showing all the stick stuff. And then I did see recently, like some of your clients walking with the stick tucked under their arm. And I think that's dope that you're using your, your other skill set to empower your clients in a way that I can't do. A lot of other trainers can't do like, give me a stick i don't know how to, i wouldn't know what to do with it but it's very cool that you're empowering these owners with a way of very clearly advocating very clearly knowing what to do if a situation were to arise and giving them the tools and the technique to be able to do that that's very cool well, i appreciate that thank you i mean 
for me, I'm ninja dog trainer, right? Chad's doing the same thing in Team Flop years. Like he's he's going into mentorship and and teaching that way because of his experience, like with baseball, and he's able to translate that into his dog training business and to help so many people in comedy. Like he's ruthlessly, savagely funny, yeah, empowering. So and and each person is different. Like you're writing, like your your dog training thought. I love those. One of my favorite ones that you wrote was when people ask about. Uh, how long does my dog have to wear the e-collar is like asking how long after I get my driver's license do I not have to wear a seatbelt? Yeah. I got in trouble for that one. <laughs> Boom. That one is, it was so amazing. Like all of the ones you read are exceptional. So each person's uh, ability to empower their, the, the people in their lives, whether it's clients or whoever, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. Cause that makes us, it's our unique fingerprint, right? They could get on YouTube and look up how to go through obedience behaviors, but it's it's who we are on the inside, that essence that people are attracted to. They're like, yeah. you know, Tiffany's five foot two and she does martial arts and she works dog. I, I like I want to work with her. She's got something like, oh, Russ is amazing. Like, I love the way he, he framed this up. That makes sense. No wonder I'm struggling in this particular arena of my life. And so that's going to draw people to you. You know, um, each person's different. We all bring something unique to the table. And when we, when we're willing to get brave and embrace that and be like, this is who the fuck I am, you know? And like, Hey, and this is who you can be and this is who you are. And you can help bring that forward in people. It's what attracts. I mean, you're talking about Chad, so I might as well just continue on that path, but you know, his book that he's been very into recently. I don't know if you saw, um, expert secrets. I think it's called, I have it, but I haven't gotten, it's in my stack of books that I haven't read. Um, it. Yeah, because I have a whole stack of books that I'm supposed to be reading, but I haven't gotten to yet. But one of the things that I know it does discuss in there, because I flipped through it just to find like interesting things, though, is attracting your tribe, right? And what makes like we can both train dogs, and there are tons of dog trainers out there. Tons of them are better than me, right? And like everyone has different skill sets. But what attracts people to each of us separately, I mean, besides that, we're just geographically very far apart. But what attracts people to the different dog trainers or in any field in general is being yourself, what it really boils down to, right? Because there can be another XYZ dog trainer up the block from me and he can be just as good as a trainer as me, like with skills with a dog, but one person might connect more to me as a person and more to them as a person. But the problem is that when you hide from the world who you are, then nobody gets to see what they like nobody gets to actually be attracted to you as a person and you don't actually attract the people that want to work with you not just your skills because they're two different things like your skills are not necessarily you it's a part of you but there's a whole you and the more of that you that the world gets to know the more you're going to attract the people who actually want to work with because we do something that's very different than a lot of other businesses services products it's very personal right I mean, we're, we're going into people's homes. Like you, you train in their homes for two weeks at a time. I go in for a couple hours at the end of the program, but we're going into people's homes. We get to know a lot about them, even if they try not to tell us because you could always tell through the dog and it becomes, there's a part of it that's intimate, you know, getting to know someone at that level and for someone to trust you in that sense, they will be more willing to trust you when they're attracted to you not just to your skill set right does that make sense 
It, it does. And uh, to your point about um, embracing who you are and being authentic in JKD and Jeet Kundo, the, the philosophy tagline is take what is useful, um, discard what is not and make it uniquely your own. Right. I love that. That's the whole philosophy of JKD. And you basically, you, you just summed that up perfectly about being authentic. You know, somebody else might have the same skill set as us, but it is you stepping forward and being authentic. Like this is me, you know, that is what draws people in and, and propels you forward. Right. Like I, everybody else is taken. Might as well be ourselves. And it's cool to be yeah. inspired by others. Like there's, there's so many people, you know, that I, look up to you and I'm like, oh, I could use that, but I would make it uniquely my own um, and see how it fits it and assimilates into my world. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, love, I love what you just said. That's awesome. All right, Tiffany, let's wrap it up. Uh, it's been about an hour and a half. Um, it goes by fast. It does. So do you want to let everyone know how they can get in touch with you, follow you, find your work, all that stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, you can find me there at Positively Tiffany. Um, P A W S I T I V E L Y. It's over there. Yeah, it's right there on my name. <laughs> um, I have a website, PositivelyTiffany.com. Facebook under that too. So, easiest way to reach. Right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you all for watching. Thanks for everyone who actually stayed through Tiffany's little ride up the hill. And <laughs> stuck with us for that because it got fun afterwards and we could actually hear each other I had a lot of fun chatting with you thank you thank you everyone for watching hope you all have an awesome night and stay kind